the show starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, go. One, welcome to another episode of the Stoned Apes podcast, and it is the Reverend and the Captain, and we are joined by a incredibly special guest today. We have the Reverend's very favorite music artist ever, Otep Shamaya. How are you doing, ma'am? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Well, I'm going to embarrass you for a minute, but I got to tell a story uh, about how I discovered you, and uh, we have to go back a long time, 2000, 2001. I had uh, I was back in the military and uh, my friend went to a, a music store named Sam Goody. Remember when they had music stores and I do, yeah, that was yeah. the thing. And the woman awesome. that worked at the music store had uh, asked uh, or gave us a suggestion for a CD and uh, it said Otep on it and it was Sevistra and, you know, and I said, OK. And she goes, well, it's a female metal singer. And I was like, oh, OK. That sounds amazing, right? And uh, so we get out there and we go into my truck and, and we throw it in. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, we got past the introduction and it was about three seconds in the blood picks. And I went, oh my God, can you believe the voice on this woman? It was absolutely the most jaw dropping, powerful thing that I had ever got to hear. And I have been hooked ever since. So, and um, 20 years of, absolute fandom and uh being able to meet you and have you here on this podcast is an honor thank you so much thank you uh yeah it was uh it was a great record to write uh, i wrote with terry date and we spent uh about six weeks in seattle writing it i think um it was a during october so it was like a permanent ceiling of cloud in seattle so i think that kind of helped add the atmosphere of that record uh because it was already coming in really really hard, heavy, and emotional, and um, it's still, we still play the majority of our set, we go on tour, is mostly from Sevastra, because, you know, classics, yeah, art, absolutely. art is forever. Went to Iraq in 2003, and uh, we had, um, we had, I had Slipknot, I had Mushroom Head, and I had Otep, and so uh, when I was over there, your CD had really been uh, it was very pivotal to allowing me to make it through that time in my life and uh, it more than just your your music, but it was the words and the lyrics and, and how you put everything together all the way down to, um, you know, especially your poems. Thoughts was a big one for me. You know, the sirens mm -hmm. sharpened their rocks and and uh, mm -hmm. and it was the way that you had wrote it, you know, your, your replacement of the word I for I, you know, the E-Y-E. Mm -hmm. And uh, I yeah. still write that today on occasion when appropriate. And uh, and so uh, I wanted to thank you for that personally. I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you. you your music was very uh, in influential to me and, and pivotal in my life. And uh, and I appreciate that. Do you get to hear that from a lot of your military fans? I do. And let me say thank you for your service. I, my, I come from a military family. Um, and um, I mean, almost every 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 branch we've served in since uh, as far back as we can go in our history. Uh, so thank you for that. And I do, I get a lot of military folks coming uh, active and, um, and veterans who will come and to the shows I've had, especially when we were, uh, uh, in, at, you know, in actively at war in a couple of places 
uh, and um, they would come in their in their fatigues and they would give me um, their dog tags. They've given me their medals. They've given me um, one um, woman who was in the Marine Corps. She was on, on leave from Afghanistan and she gave me her hat and I still have it and it still smells like sweat in the desert, you know, it still smells like sweat and sand. So, um, so I, I'm, I'm always very grateful for that because my brother was, uh, I, I've lost two brothers um, and one was recent and he, uh, I was a year, about a year and a half ago, I think. Um, hard to keep up. But then I lost another brother back in, um, uh, he was in the Navy uh, 2001. So, um, that, um, I've always taken that very seriously and, and I'm always very honored. Um, and I'm very honored to be here and it's oh, always, well. it's always surprising to me. And it's, it's interesting. You brought up thoughts because thoughts was actually written. Um, a, a, a part of that was written about, um, what was happening in Afghanistan at the time. This is, we, I started writing it like right after nine 11 and as we went into, war there and uh we were sending people in so i was uh, a, a few of those lines was inspired by um uh not only the uh nefarious enemy that we destroyed luckily but um and happily but also because of the uh the brave women and men who served our country so valiantly during those times and still do so thank you very much for your service and sacrifice and your family as well i know that sometimes gets overlooked um the families of people who have who they sacrifice as well. So I appreciate you very much. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you. And and my condolences to, to your brother that, that died and, and both of them as well. And, and especially for services. And, and, you know, I can't imagine how many lives you've impacted in the military. I, like I said, I know my story couldn't be that rare. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask the question, uh, because your lyrics are so powerful, you know, and uh, and you you mentioned thoughts. And, I, and the first line that mm -hmm. went in my head was that, you know, what is, I, I, hopefully I don't get this wrong, but is, uh, you know, vomit a world of truth and agony. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and your throbbing illness of memory. And then and that just man, that just rung true to me. And, and here I am 20 years later and I can still repeat it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, well, that's, you. that's something really important, but uh, so let's talk a little bit about early history. Here you are. It's, it's two thousands. You're on the metal scene. You got people like me that are living in the Midwest that, you know, metal music and women, not really a thing. What was that like <laughs> for you? Um, being a woman in the metal scene. Yeah. Was that, was that uh, difficult? I mean, how did, how was that, how was that received by other people? Well, uh, it wasn't funny enough. Uh, in the beginning, I think when people saw me, because um, you know I'm from Los Angeles, and we 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 played. Um, uh, there's a really strong local scene here because everybody kind of comes to Los Angeles to like get discovered, you know. So we have a pretty pretty strong local scene. So we were just that. We were just a local band, rehearsing a lot, playing a lot. Uh, I mean, not a whole lot because we got signed after five or six shows, but without a demo. Um, but it was because of the impact that we were making uh, on the scene. And, you know, when you have a scene like Los Angeles or say something like New York City, where people get a little jaded because, you know, everybody's playing. So they, they, they kind of feel like they've seen everything. And uh, when I would come up, I think they probably thought I was going to grab a bass or something, because that's usually the, typically the stereotype of what a, a woman does in like any sort of band, plays bass or keys. And I grabbed the mic and then all of a sudden, boom, I got 
the mosh is going and everything's going crazy. And so, uh, and then we played Ozfest, and I remember coming out and kind of like some tears and some stuff. And then as soon as we started, everybody was like, there was silence at first. And so that was a little bit alarming because you never want really silence at your shows, especially at a big giant festival like that. And then after it was over, we had a banner up behind us that had Otep on it and they started chanting Otep, Otep. And so that I knew like, okay, this is going to be difficult, but it's going to be worth it. You know, because in the beginning, a lot of our shows were mostly male and maybe they brought their girlfriends or their sisters or their cousins or whatever with them. And then suddenly it's like the whole now it's like the first five rows are women and they're just getting crushed by people behind them. Um, so, you know, if it, it, in the beginning it was uh, I get a lot of things like, you know, if I did a meet and greet with fans uh, early on uh, when I was doing I still do. them, But early on when I did them, people would say things like you, you scream pretty good for a girl. And I'm thinking, like, for a girl, like, why do you got to genderize it? Like, why, why do you got to put it in a box? Like, why can't I just scream? You know, don't I just, why can't I just scream? Uh, but my, I, what I'm most happy about is not what I can do with, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that I'm able to do all the things that I can do with my voice. But um, it's it's more about my my words and my lyrics and the things that you mentioned earlier. Um, those things matter most to me. They always have. Um, you mentioned how I wrote I, E Y E instead of I. Well, I, you know, I was a big, uh, and I still am, but I was really a big beat poet fan in those days. So I got a lot of that wordplay from Ginsburg and Kerouac and those cats, you know, who really were attacking the sort of um, the puritanical poetry is supposed to be, you know. Um, Walt Whitman and you know very you know societal you know it's, it's not supposed to be something that's like street poetry you know and that's what those cats brought along they so they kind of revolutionized it and for me that that hit me pretty well and and pretty hard so I, I wanted to bring that influence into everything else that I was doing. Well you know what that's got cool. me as a fan and I think a lot of this interview is probably going to be me talking as a fan because it's one of the biggest reasons why I wanted you on the podcast uh you know it was the range and diversity of your music. And and I think that that did a lot for me because, you know, there was a lot of other bands at the time and Slipknot, I have a lot of love and appreciation for them, but their, their music was very one dimensional at the time, you know, especially mm -hmm. like with Iowa and your music, you know, be with the poetry with, you know, songs like, um, you know, uh, my confession, for example, was another mm -hmm. one, right. Which was, that was somewhere in between a song and a poem. And it had this really interesting mix to it. And there was so much diversity on that first CD that that's really what got me hooked. And that in the incredible voice. I mean, there's a there's a power to your voice that you just don't find in other bands in this genre. Um, and then the the range that you had, and then you go on to really highlight that later. So, yeah, I think that that was really incredible. But that leads me to my next question. So my next question is. As somebody who's been a fan of your music for a long time, I will say that Otep doesn't have a style, at least not in my opinion. When you listen to the CDs, each CD is so unique to itself. And, uh, you know, all the way down to, you know, there's some releases that we probably talk about a little bit later, like You're a Woman Now, which is a completely mm -hmm. different spin on what you would expect to hear when you hear Otep. So I would like to ask you, 
what were you what was going on in your life you know, obviously you were somebody who writes from the heart somebody who's writes from personal experience you know what was going on in your life during those different cds that created such a diversity in your art or is, did you always have that diversity and you were just looking to showcase it um well this is my uh, my ninth album now uh it, so it's it's difficult to remember everything that was going on during all of those times over 20 years but um I think that what what drew me into the idea of this genre of new metal, you know, that somebody came up with was that there there were no boundaries, right? You just brought in whatever inspiration you had at the moment. And that's what I found so fascinating about it because I was I was writing my the first thing I ever did creatively, I was drawing before I could speak. So, and then when I kept drawing a lot and I come from sort of a, uh, we grew up real poor, but my mother was very um, insistent that we were going to, cause she was, uh, my mom is extremely, extremely smart. And um, I mean, genius level smart. So she was very, it was very important to her that we, we were also like, we put education first. And, and so um, I wish I'd have done a little bit more of that in school, but I didn't. Uh, so, cause art was the most important thing. So what um, I would get in trouble a lot for, drawing at school and and then people started asking me well what is this about because everything would be so intricate all the drawings would be so intricate so then I, I got I don't know I guess I I kind of got a little frustrated having to explain what every drawing was about so then I started writing stories about what every drawing was about so then and then when I felt when I found that I fell in love with writing and I moved into that world then when I found poetry I moved into that world. so for me I was trying to bring in everything that had inspired me to whatever music I was going to make at the time. And I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't know if it was going to be heavy or, or what it was going to be. And I just found some musicians that, that again, my drummer, original drummer, Moak, um, he was, um, he had worked with Dre, Dr. Dre doing hip hop beats, but also could play metal and rock and jazz and blues. And then my bass player at the time, he was, um, you know, Berkeley trained, played uh, jazz, but also was really into Meshuggah and like different time signatures and things like that. So he brought that in and the guitar player at the time, he brought in, you know, his own influences, which he also included like hip hop, rock and metal. So uh, when we sat down our when, to write the first record, the, the only rule was there's no rules, like bring in whatever you, whatever is inspiring you, like bring that to us. And then if it inspires us, then you know, that's what the true sort of spiritual intercourse of creativity for me, that's what draws me in and has kept me making music for, for all this time. Um, songs like You're a Woman Now, songs like My Confession, songs like Perfectly Flawed, um, Boss, uh, which is another one. Um, those songs have always lived in me. Uh, they just didn't have, they, they just weren't formed yet. They were still finding where they were supposed to exist. And uh, when they finally found their place, I mean, I was met with a, a very similar reaction from the labels. Um, when they first heard, so I wrote Perfectly Flawed first, sort of the first ballad. And I wrote that with a songwriter named Holly Knight. She wrote Love is a Battlefield, uh, Pat Benatar. Uh, so um, she's in the Hall, Songwriters Hall of Fame, Holly Knight. So um, I brought that into the label. They're listening to the record and they hear Perfectly Flawed and they go, I remember this, I was in my A&R's office, which I don't think that position exists anymore, which sucks, but because um, they were in charge of artist development. 
But he turned around in his chair, spun around and looked at me and he goes, that's not an OTEP song. And I said, I'm OTEP. I wrote it. I'm singing it. It's an OTEP song. And he said, but it's not heavy. And I said, well, things don't have to be heavy to be heavy. You know, did you listen to what I was what I was saying? Did you listen to the words? You know, this is about this is an anti-body shaming. This is about, you know, accepting yourself for who you are. This is, you know, this is uh, it's an important song for a lot of people who deal with that, who deal with that. And they never got behind it. And so and even and now I'm very proud of it. It's besides my name. When people get tattoos, perfectly flawed is probably the second most popular tattoo that people get. Um, and with you're a woman now, I mean, really, I when I started writing, it started out as a poem and it was really about the idea of the different ways in which different societies and culture cultures measure what it is to be a woman. And when do you become a woman as a little girl? Um, and I'm not trying to get into any sort of gender politics or anything like that. I'm just talking about this uh, idea. Is it when you, be, you know, in the old days, it was when she got married, she's a woman now. The other, in some parts of the world, it's when you lose your virginity. And then, and so I addressed it. Well, what if she gets raped? That's the first verse of that song. It's a, it's a date rape gone. You know, it's a, it's a date gone bad, date rape. And is that when she, is she a woman now? Because that was stolen from her without consent. Uh, the second verse is about the the the, the horrible practice of um, uh, of female circumcision, genital mutilation in certain parts of the world, and that's when they say she's a woman. And so, you know, the that's one. And, and so that was a very difficult uh, part to write. Very difficult verse, but then. The third verse was is actually autobiographical. I remember my mother taking me to the welfare office so that we could get food stamps and um, and some government cheese. <laughs> and uh, I rem I was very very young, but I remember this. My mom's amazed. I remember it, and I guess it just imprinted on me so heavy because I remember how it was. I could feel her embarrassment a little bit because she was, you know, she she was embarrassed to be in there or, or just I don't know if it was embarrassment to be there. But I think that she was just nervous about what she could do to keep her kids fed and clothed and housed. And I remember and it's in the song, her saying, we're going to get our own place. We're going to get our we're going to be OK. Don't worry. And that's to me, that was a woman. A mother taking care of her kids, doing whatever it took, no matter if it was embarrassing, no matter if it was humiliating, no matter if it was, um, you know, whatever obstacle was placed in front of her, she was going to do what was right for her family. And that's to me was is what a, was what a woman was for that. And, and again, no gender politics or anything like that. I'm oh, right. no, I, I think you yeah. did a great job. That, that was beautiful. Oh, thank you. And, you know, one of the things that I'd like to say on that is just like I talked about earlier about taking your 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 CD with me to Iraq and and uh, and how influential that was. I feel like your music, especially in songs like "You're a Woman Now," it gives a voice to people who typically don't have a voice. 
and your words become their voice. And that makes it more powerful because you can understand the meaning and the emotion that's behind it. And, and that brings me to, you know, in a theme and, 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 uh, I think it is perfectly flawed. It deals with suicide a little bit and, um, mm-hmm. the, the concept of, of suicide and not taking your life and, you know, you have something to live for. And that's a big theme in the military community, right? Cause we have the 22 a day, you know, have you done any outreach work with any military? Military organizations with, to, with preventative suicide. I I well uh, I haven't done I've I've been I've been involved with some organizations. Uh, I did do the twenty two push up challenge for when that was the a thing, you know. Um, but uh, I I would like to do more for the the the, uh, the military community as as much as I can. Um, I just don't want to barge in and go. I'm here to help, you know. I'm, I, they, if, if someone wants me to help, I would, and, and gladly. Because again, um, one of my uncles served 25 years in the Air Force. Uh, my father was served uh, all, as well. Two of my brothers served in the Navy. My grandfather served in the Navy. Um, I mean, every, almost every branch, uh, every branch actually of the military. So I'm, I, I come from that world and I know what it's like to worry and, and, and actually not to have a loved one come home. So, um, and then I also to have loved ones come home and then suffer from PTSD. And, um, uh, one of my, uh, uh, one of my, uh, cousins, uh, he suffered, uh, really bad PTSD and he, he, uh, ended up, um, taking his own life, uh, and he was trying to get help with the VA and the VA, I think was doing the best they could during that time with what they had. Um, but, um, unfortunately just, uh, he was just, he was just in a place, a world of hurt. Couldn't get it's out. A shame. So it is, he was a good guy and we miss him a lot. And so that's why, you know, for me, it's always, um, I remember I was, this is back when I, I wrote Warhead. And, uh, you know, I wrote Warhead for a very specific cause because I didn't believe that I, I, I supported the us going after um, bin Laden in um, Afghanistan because that's where he was hiding. I did not support the invasion of Iraq, uh, no disrespect, but I just didn't. As a person who had family in the military, I did not want them going someplace that didn't attack us. It didn't matter. It didn't, like, why aren't we in Saudi Arabia <laughs> uh, or Egypt even? Um, but uh, I remember I wrote I wrote warhead and uh, after it was a i did one show and and some of the fans booed because they thought i was attacking the troops when i was actually attacking the leadership the political leadership of the country at the time which is bush cheney and all those jackasses um and i remember after the show someone came to me to the bus and they said hey uh Somebody wants to buy, we had a little banner that we hung above our merch table. They said, oh, somebody wants to buy your banner. And I said, oh, uh, well, we need that banner for merch. And they said, oh, well, they they want to pay us 500 bucks. for it. And I was like, oh, well, t- I'll take that. And they said, well, they'll only pay it if you, if you autograph it. I was like, sure. Okay. I said, and so I came off the bus and I was met with them and I'm, I met this, um, uh, men and women who were on, they were just got back from Iraq and Afghanistan, both of them served in both places, I think. And, 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 uh, they were, they were going back even though they were against the war. And, and first of all, I said, I'm not taking your money. Here's just take the banner. Thank you for your service. And then I asked them and they were in city. So, you know, they, 
they could, they could, they spoke as freely as they could. Uh, and they just said to me, you know, what, um, what you do for us, we can't speak out. Thank you for speaking out. And then I said, well, uh, and they were, and this is before the, this was still, Patel was in, in place and they were both gay, but they pretended to be boyfriend, girlfriend over there to make sure they didn't get in any trouble. And I said, okay, so why are you going back? And they said, because our friends are there. And man, that hit me so hard. Like mm-hmm. you're going to, you're going back for your friends, for your friends and for your country, of course, but your friends are there and they didn't want to leave their friends behind. So I gave them the banner. I gave them some merch. I gave them whatever they wanted. I was just like, you guys. And, and um, uh, I heard from them years later and they were, you know, after the, after all that had happened and gone away. Um, and, and they still thank me for that. And I just, you know, trying not to get emotional here, but it was, uh, it was an emotional moment for me because um, I just, I'm in awe of the military community, truly. Yeah. Well, so, I, I, go ahead. <laughs> so you released nine records or nine albums now. And you said yes. that, you know, the gentleman said, this is an OTEP. And you said, well, this is me singing. Now that you're a number nine, how do you, I mean, do you look back and say, well, look at me now, like you were wrong all the time or like, how do you handle something like that? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm petty. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's like, come on, man. I mean, I would the be thing too. Is, yeah, it's, I'm, I forgive if you guys hear the siren. Sorry. I live in Los Angeles. So you will hear sirens in LA. Um, no, you're fine. Uh, but, uh, so, um, sorry, the, They'll go. We can't hear you. You're fine. Oh, you. Oh, yeah, you guys can't hear. Good. Okay, it's, nah. it's like crazy loud here. Uh, they're probably going to lunch. Um, anyway, the uh, they run. They run the lights here. They just they just turn on their their trees so they can run the lights. But anyway, um, yes, I do. I actually, um, I will take great pleasure in in succeeding when people have told me that I can't or that I won't. And I hope. Hopefully, it's. It's an example for others who have been told, no, you can't do that, or no, you you you're not able to do that because of this or this, or you know, society doesn't, you know, well, who makes these rules? You know, who makes these rules? You know, I mean, th- the whole idea of genre and 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 limiting yourself to only this very small box of music or art or life or culture, um, you're you're limiting your your own human experience. So Agreed. when uh, my A and R moved on to become a, a music manager. I think he used to roadie for Metallica like a long time ago, and then he went to Capitol Records, and then I think he went back to music management. But I reached out to him years later, and I said I sent him a bunch of pictures of people with perfectly flawed tattoos, and I was like, you know, how you like me? <laughs> like what, dude? Um, but you know, I I I I I learned after Seven Straw and after House of Secrets came out, and it was so different. It was like a concept album. Uh, that people, fan, you know, there are certain people out there that will listen to something and go, I hate this. I hate it. This isn't you. This doesn't sound like your other record. And then a few years later, they're like, oh, how secret is my favorite album? Same people, same people. So I'm now to the point where I just, I just, if I feel like I'm being honest as an artist and I'm writing what is, what is, um, what I believe in and when I perform it, people see that I believe in it, then they will believe in it as well. I got some pushback even from some tour, some of my tour musicians when I wrote Apex Predator. It's kind of like a goth, like 
industrial hip hop song or something, you know, in a way, because it's spoken. It's not really sung or screamed or anything like that. Um, and they said, oh, the fans are going to hate it. The fans are going to hate it. Sure enough, no, they didn't. They loved it. They were singing They they were singing the lyrics on the first tour, first show of the tour. Same thing happened with Equal Rights, Equal Left. People were like, oh, that's a song about equality. And it's and it's like a, it's, it's, a, it's a trap beat and, you know, people aren't going to like it wrong as soon as we went out first show people knew the lyrics it was they were i had to just turn my i put the mic out to the crowd like see y'all so what goes what I, goes I, to I, your what goes through you when that happens like i just get goosebumps thinking about it i can't imagine being on the mm -hmm. stage and hearing them doing that for you oh uh it's my soul is carbonated i mean it just feels it's amazing i mean it's one of the I, you know i like i said i grew up really poor and not with a and and there weren't a lot of prospects you know it was either like you do dirt you know you get a little dirty make a little money somehow whatever you do uh, or you know you go into like you get a trade or something like that there wasn't a whole lot of a lot of options for me so for you know someone like me who like read poetry and wrote and drew pictures and things like those things didn't really matter in those neighborhoods i grew up in like is can you fight or can you run you know and then i could do both so, but I could also do the other things. <laughs> Thank you, man. Uh, and uh, I grew up with a bunch of brothers. So, you know, that, that was a big deal too. And so there was always competition there, but I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined that I would be even having this opportunity to speak to you two gentlemen here today about something that I've created. Never in my life would I expect some person, I got, uh, I did a Instagram live the other day. And there was someone from uh, Morocco that came on uh, and, you know, or they, they, well, they lived in Morocco. Now they, they've moved someplace else. Uh, respect Morocco with the earthquake right now, but um, they, they had moved someplace else. And I was getting people talking to me that, had, that were like in Brazil and uh, Japan and places like that, like who know me and have know my lyrics. And that's, that's something that, I mean, I don't need no Grammy. I don't need no, you know, I don't need a platinum record. I don't need none of that. I got, I've got the best thing that any artist could ever wish for or hope for. And because if you're doing it for that, then for me, in my mind, you're not doing it for, for art, for art's sake. You're doing it for your own ego. And I've got something that I think is even more precious and more and more of a blessing and something that I'm, I'll be forever grateful for is that I have people that actually listen and can relate to the things that I wrote and write because when I was writing those things, no one in my world could relate to them. And so it was really nice to be able to find people that, that could, and, you know, just be kind of a beacon, a lighthouse in the dark. And I'm just calling all these souls together and it's pretty amazing. I think lighthouse is an understatement. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think what you've done has been fantastic. And, and that brings me to the the conversation while you're here today, because you're promoting a new album called God Slayer, and it is released on September 15th, which happens to be the day that this is going to go live. So hopefully a lot of people are going to get the uh, opportunity to uh, be able to listen to this album. And one of the things that I noticed on this album that really caught me off guard, but then I found a real appreciation for, was that you made the decision on this album to use your voice by doing covers. And, and I felt like when I when I first got the album and, and I seen it and I and I heard the covers, 
I thought, okay, that was different as a fan. That was different for me. But then when yeah. I went back and I listened to him and I realized your interpretation of those covers is where you were creating your voice, especially like in the Beach Boys song when you did California Girls. And I thought, you know, that was not what I was expecting at all. And uh, yeah. I thought you did a beautiful rendition of that and how much how much you were able to add to that song without adding any lyrics was amazing. Uh, would you like to thank talk on that a little bit? Sure. Um, first, thank you for all, for all your kind words. I really appreciate it. I worked, you know, this, so it's, see, uh, um, this wasn't my idea to do this record this way. This was the label's idea. Um, they approached me during quarantine and um, I got a message through one of my, I think my booking agent, and he said, hey, this label wants you to do an, an album of covers. And I said, okay, I've, I've, I've done covers before. You know, I did Royals by Lord. I did Wake Up by Raging Against Amazing, Machine. Amazing, by the way. Oh, thank you, thank you. And I did uh, Wake uh, Wake Up by Rage Against Machine. I've covered the Do Not to Touch the Earth by the Doors. Nirvana. I did Breathe by Nirvana. Um, and so uh, I want. I, I thought, well, nothing's happening right now. It's everything's quarantine. Everything's shut down. And uh, so why not give it a shot? In the beginning, the label wanted. They'd given me a list of bands they thought that I should do, and they were all hair metal bands from Europe. And I'd never heard of any of them. No disrespect to anybody, but I just don't listen to hair metal. So I don't know who they are. They're like French hair metal bands. Like, I don't know who these people are. So I, I knew that I couldn't do them justice. I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, I can't sing high falsettos anyway. <laughs> like, it's not my thing. So I have a more of a baritone voice um, since four years old, by the way. But um, when I did go in to do this, I, I, I approached it from the same way that I did with Royals. Uh, I think that that kind of shocked a lot of people that I, I would cover a song from that's outside, you know, that's like a pop, big pop hit, you know. But I read the lyrics and that's where everything for me foundationally starts from, especially with the song that I, a, a genre, from outside a genre that I don't listen to because I don't really listen to pop music. So I read the lyrics and I, as a person that grew up poor and as a person that grew up, you know, um, still wanting to, live life and have uh, you know a good time as best we could with what we had those lyrics uh, lord's lyrics for worlds meant meant something to me i could relate to them and so that's how i approached the rest of the album um from billy eilish you should see me in the crown to um the eminem cover um to california girls and you know i for, uh when i brought that up in the with the producer he just, he was like, what? The Beach Boys? And I, I, I yeah, man, let me just hear me out. So I'm a, I like true crime documentaries, all that stuff. So I, I just finished watching the Ted Bundy tapes. And uh, uh, they're pretty dark. So uh, that, that little docuseries is pretty dark. And you could hear him talking about, in third person, of course, because, you know, he never really wanted to take blame for the evil things that he did but um when i read the lyrics for california girls it just connected to me like this seems like a diary out of a serial stalker or a serial killer's notebook that i'm reading you know this person is traveling all over the country and sort of dissecting women by what he likes about him whatever region they're in and then he wants them all in his hunting ground in california 
And for and so I wanted the song to be as dark as it appeared to me lyrically. I don't and the Beach Boys probably didn't mean it this way, or I don't know if they did or not. I you know, who knows back then uh what their intentions were, but you know, you take a surf pop type song, but and you could say anything underneath it, you know. Um so I went in with the idea that we're gonna make this really dark because that's how it affected me. It felt really dark. Um but also I wanted to sing it from the perspective of, of the person that I felt wrote it. So there would be some obsession there. There'd be some seduction there and there would be some evil there as well. But so, and I think we accomplished it. I think we did. It's one of my favorite songs on the album, truly. Oh, I, and, would, um, I would agree. I, I think that it is definitely my favorite song in the album. And I know the first time that I heard it, it gave me goosebumps. It was like the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I felt uncomfortable. I was like, wow, that was not what I was looking for. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, can... and Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I just say it just completely, you know, and I thank you for covering the Billie Eilish song. My uh, daughter is actually a huge Billie Eilish fan. And so when I got on there and I seen that, I thought, oh, wow, you know what diversity that is. And you did an amazing job on that cover as well. So, um, you. you know, I found it to be an excellent album. Uh, you know, the the one song on the album that stood out to me was God Slayer. Mm -hmm. I was I heard the title of the album, God Slayer, and immediately my brain went to like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to hear what type of thunderous metal this is going to be, right? And mm -hmm. then it was a poem. And I went, yeah. oh. And then I listened to the words and I went, oh, uh, there's a lot of emotion here. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes here. And I was trying to really understand like where you were coming from. And I felt the hurt and the pain. Uh, can you explain a little bit about like what went into that song and why did you choose the name God Slayer? Uh, so while I was um, while I was creating the album and covering the songs, and they gave me three originals to do. Um, my brother, my eldest brother, died uh, suddenly. And um, I and uh, I felt like and he was my best friend in the world. He's my best friend. In the world. He's the only other gay kid in the family. So uh, you know, I was uh, inspired by him growing up, you know, because he was uh, older than me. And so I saw him. I mean, he came out when he was 14. He was so brave. I mean, this was, you know, came out in the late 80s, you know, <laughs> like uh, this was in a time when young, young 14 year old boys should be out, you know, and I mean, it was, you know, this was when the AIDS scare was going on and Reagan was, you know, uh, cutting funding for for AIDS patients. And my brother was seeing a lot of his friends pass away from it just because um, they were, they thought it was a gay disease. And in their minds, God was punishing gay people. And suddenly it starts hitting, you know, middle-class straight uh, Americans and suddenly it's a it's a, you know it's a terrible terrible thing and then the government has to address it but um so but besides that my brother was just a wonderful 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 human being and I uh was very supportive not only to me but to everyone in my family um to all of his friends and uh he had called me really late um I was asleep and I I just, I, I, I felt the phone buzz and I looked and I saw a missed call and it was my brother. And, um, I said, oh, I just, and he left me a voicemail and, um, 
then the next morning, my, my mother and my other, one of my other brothers called me on, on the phone, uh, and said, you know, he, John died. And I was just, whew, uh, there is, I, if I, fe I feel that my brother was cheated out of, out of the rest of his life. He had a long life to left to live and a lot of love to give in this world. And uh, so when I was writing that, at the same time, my I'm a big animal rights person. I'm big, I'm, I'm vegan, okay? Uh, but I'm also, like, I love animals. My family, we have a private animal sanctuary. We take in livestock from slaughterhouses. We take in dogs, cats, people leave them out in the country. They think that dogs will, will revert back to their feral ways that's not what happens everybody don't do that find don't a sanctuary do don't do that my dad goes out and gets on his little he has like on a little off-road four by four little golf cart thing <laughs> that he goes around and he just drives around and there's this one spot where people just dump their dogs out in the middle of the country and uh he goes and picks them up he's got his beer and his beer in one hand and driving the other and a dog in this one you know and he's driving with his knee <laughs> he fit uh, right in where i'm from his, yeah it sounds yeah. like saint jen right <laughs> yeah uh, they uh, uh yeah my family live, they, they live out in the hill country outside of austin texas um so he comes up and tells my mom hey we got another one so um to me my um earlier before we started i was lucky enough to meet your son and that was very awesome to me and you guys heard my son which is my dog and um at the time after my brother had died my I had a five pound chihuahua who thought she was a Rottweiler. Her name was Chloe Commando and she developed um, heart failure and it was um, a fatal disease. So after my brother passed, I did everything I could to keep her alive. And then the medicine that she was taking caused renal failure and she died from medicine. And so it was a, there was a whole lot going on at the time. And I was angry. Angry is not the right word. I don't know if there is a word for what I was feeling. But if I could, if, if, if I could sit down across from the creator, God, whatever it is, and I could, and I, I would have battled that, that, that entity for the souls of my brother and my daughter. Absolutely. Soul for soul. And I would have won. <laughs> there's no <laughs> doubt about it i would have won with the amount of righteous rage and uh uh just feeling like life had cheated both of them i wrote that i wrote that poem and uh even the opening you know uh the the opening of the song that that was also the opening of the album starts also with a little bit of a spoken word piece just like Sevis Tra did my first album with um tortured um this one starts the same way and it's calling for them to give me strength to finish this album because i was in the midst of writing the record when they both passed and so um that's that's kind of uh where i was and i was in a really dark place when i wrote it i was in a really angry place very depressed very very lost without them that void you know they don't they tell you about grief and <laughs> And I'm sure maybe you guys can, people and people watching can understand like grief comes in waves 
You know, it's not just one thing that hits you and suddenly you get over it. It it, it keeps coming and it yep. shows back up just as soon as you feel like you feel like you're getting like life's normalizing and you're you're getting accustomed to this vacancy, this vo these voids in your life. And then suddenly, bang, they're not there anymore. Um, and that you the whole cycle starts over again. So that's that's where that song came from. And then if you continue to listen when that song ends, it's the last song on the record. Um, I put my brother's voicemail on there. Um, he left the, the last voicemail he left uh, the night before he died. He died sleep the next morning, uh, and they found him next morning. Um, but he left me a, a voicemail, and I put that on as a, a, sort of a secret track on the record, just to immortalize him. Uh, but also, uh, when you lose people, like my grandmother um, died on my birthday when I was 13 uh, from alcoholism. And um, I don't remember her voice. I, I, I got pictures of her, but I don't remember what she sounds like. So I didn't, I didn't want that same thing to happen to my, with my brother. So I wanted to make sure I had that voicemail. So, and now everybody else says too. Everybody that's going to buy or listen to me a little bit here, you know, um, that's a, that's a powerful story and yeah. and my heart goes out well, to you it's real and that's thank you i'm sorry that you real had to experience and... that and and definitely understand grief and loss very very well oh. um so man but what an amazing album and and the way that you put thank everything you. together and i think that what you just said kind of segued into my my last round of questions which is probably going to be a little bit wordy so you're gonna to have to follow me on this one um but it's going to tie together a lot of what we had talked about we talked about how your cds have changed over time and development mm -hmm. one of the things that we we really hadn't talked about is there is a heavy spiritual element to a lot of your songs especially like unveiled you know with the you know the isis mm -hmm. and, and kali and then chronos and and so that's always been a kind of a, a question mark in, in in my mind of like you know what is it that about that particularly uh, you know, are you a spiritual person? Is it, are you communicating that through your music, or is that a, a metaphor, a representation of something that you believe on a on, on a in a different way? I think it might be a little bit of both. I mean, I am a spiritual person. As an artist, I, I it'd be hard for me to deny that creating something out of nothing is not is. I mean, I do that. That's what we do as artists. We create something out of nothing. You know, so um, I don't know. I, and and I think that for me, uh, being seeing that you know, most of the world, and especially Western culture, um, is ruled by a, a patriarchal god, you know. The, and so it was important. And even though you go back and you if you actually read the ancient texts uh, of Judaic and Christian, so forth and so on, I mean they there were women that were that were deeply involved in, in all of these, um, in, 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 the, uh, I guess the, um, the, uh, you know, the mass production, I would say of Christianity and, and these other religions, but they were taken out by certain people who didn't want women to have political power or religious power. Um, and so it was important for me because I, I, you know, I look back at, you know, I, I, because of my mom and the, the way that she raised us and, my, you know, ha always having an, a hungry mind and, and wanting to know things, um, 
being told that women didn't have anything to do with uh, certain aspects of of Christianity. Well, when Jesus was crucified, the men ran. You know, he even warned them. I admit when the clock strikes 12, you'll deny me. Or when the when the crow, whatever. No, when the rooster crows, you'll deny me two times or whatever he said. I, don't, I, I can't remember that part. But I know that it, the men all ran. The people that stayed with Jesus crucified, according to the story, were the women. Uh, and there were women disciples, but they've all been left out of the books. And those books were chosen by uh, particular people in order to maintain this sort of patriarchal. And I, I don't hate all men. Please don't take this as I'm hating. I don't hate men. I do. I do. I do. We're I good. just want to make sure that women get get their. I know. But listen, some of your viewers are like, oh, my God, that's another feminazi, blah, blah, blah. Nah, we'll uh, together. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, think all right, do. let's go. Thank you. But you know, the thing is, is that you know, um, the the stories of Isis and the, which was she in ancient Egypt, which my name is ancient Egypt, Egyptian. It's from the 18th dynasty. Uh, named after the heretic pharaoh Amun Hotep the uh, fourth, who later became Akhenaten, who gave was the father of King Tut, uh, husband of Nefer, Nefertiti. Um, but he. When the Pharaoh got his power by sitting on the throne, the throne was the seat of Isis. So he only got his power by sitting on the throne of Isis, sitting on the lap of Isis. She, the mother goddess, she was the, she was the, the, the one. And you go through all the, all, there's uh, all the pagan religions, they call them pagan now, but they were religions at the time. Um, you know, those, those female goddesses, the, female goddesses the goddesses meant a lot to those particular uh worshipers and so i wanted I, I like to remind people of that and especially women like to remind them of their power and and where we were we used to be oracles we used to be you know we were um you know uh, in, in our in our in our society you know when when they had the salem witch trials and all of that was going on here and all that hysteria was happening in in, in america you know, we're still taught to fear the witches, not the people that burned them, not the people right. that burned them or drowned them or crushed them. We're, we're taught to fear the witches, the healers, the people that know about, you know, that, that were actually, you know, uh, knew, you know, about nature and, and, and how to heal sick, sickness and those types of things. So, you know, we're taught to we're taught to fear them, but not the people that murdered them and burned them a lot. I mean, it's it's a little strange. So, you know, for me, it's. I wanted to bring those kinds of things to to people's attentions because they're important to me, and uh, I'm a I am a spiritual person. Um, but if I ever speak to the other side or something, I I feel like um, I look back at our at the past where people and 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 even some modern religions do this as well. If anybody's watching over me in the ethereal world beyond the veil. Um, it's probably my loved ones. It's probably the loved ones past. So that's who I talk to. I, that's who I speak to. That's who I try to honor with everything right? that the ancestors. That's right. Yeah. And so I, we got the opportunity. I'm, uh, I'm doing my very first ayahuasca journey this weekend and, uh, wow. I'm pretty sure I'm going to go meet my ancestors. So I'm pretty excited <laughs> about that. But, uh, yeah, I absolutely love what you're saying there. Now you mentioned something that, um, 
about men and and i i've heard that before as a fan of yours that people you know have accused you of men hate and stuff like that i guess i have a question in relation to that but from a more positive standpoint what do you consider positive masculine traits what should men in your opinion look to emulate what would you like to tell your fans about how a man should be what are masculine traits that should be admired geez i don't know i i because i don't i don't look at gender that way I don't, I, to me, the idea of gender is sort of manufactured, you know, I mean, I have short hair, I have, I'm wearing a sweatshirt, I have deep voices, I've got, I've got tattoos, um, I didn't play with dolls when I was a kid, I wasn't interested in it, I, you know, so I don't know, I, I you know, it, like every, people that have accused me of being a man hater or and in fact, because I wrote Menicide from the first my first album, which is about rapists and pedophiles and, and predators and those type of things, uh, a lot of, of, well, we call them incels now, but they used to call themselves meninists instead of feminists. They're meninists. They're men's rights groups. <laughs> okay. I haven't heard that one before. I, I'm sorry. I didn't make it Try up. not that's to laugh. They, it didn't work. They 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 called it. They, that, that's their word, not mine. But they gave me, um, they actually, the society of meninists actually gave, gave me an award. I didn't, I, I didn't accept, I accepted it, uh, you know, remotely, but uh, they gave me psychopath of the century award for writing that song. And uh, I, I, I just said, pedophiles and rapists. Yes, and yes. Yeah. And that's why, and that's what I was saying is like, but so you're, uh, I, it just boggles my mind. You are so, you're so offended by the fact that I'm, you should be on my side attacking that. You should be on my side attacking that. So, but if we let's just say I'll, I'll go with you on your um, this this thought process of um, typical gender roles. What we what what let's say American society. I feel like um, uh, good good traits uh, are being. Um, I can say this: uh, the best gift a parent can give to the parents can give to their children is to love each other. And if not love each other is to be kind to each other, because that's how you learn. You see how your father treats your mother, your mother treats your father, or, you know, if they're not together or if they're together. Uh, I, I would say that um, a father, a, a good, a good masculine trait would be a protector, would be a teacher. Uh, not necessarily the, I'm not, not the, like the, the, not to be a paid teacher, but, and that's fine too, but I just mean like someone who teaches things to their, to their friends, but someone who also stands up for uh, women, when, and, and other people that, that need to be stood up for. There's, there is a, a, a lack of voices sometimes, I feel like, um, when it comes to uh, men in, in certain places because they don't want to be seen as weak or they don't want to be seen as um, uh, outside the, whatever their their clique is, you know, whatever their, well, I think their that, clique lives by. Um, I, so... Oh, I was going to say, so I, think I, 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 lo I loved your answer. And, and I, I think that oh. that... Um, that speaks pretty well to to our audience. I think a lot of our, our veterans pride themselves on being protectors and 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 yeah. standing up for others and and defending those that can't defend themselves. I mean, we're sheepdogs for a reason. 
and and that's what mm -hmm. we were put on earth to do and you know and i i yeah i'm i'm not speaking for all the veterans but obviously i you know i i carry that feeling uh quite strongly and uh yeah i i thought that it was a great answer i, I think that what you said what i took from what you said is it's more important to be a good human you know, to spread love and joy and peace and, and to have humility and to care about each other. And that, that definitely speaks to us. And, and, and it's the, it's the message that we try to promote. And, and so I thought that was beautiful. Um, thank you. And I tell you, I mean, honestly, um, thank you for, for saying that, but you know, honestly, some of the worst feminists I've ever met are women. Truly. Yeah. Some of the, and, and some of the best feminists and to me, feminism just means equal you know, equal. If you can do the job, you can do the job. If, you know, uh, if, if you can, if, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, women shouldn't, if they want to be, if they want to play the certain, the old role of a housewife and all that, good for them. That's on them. Great. But we shouldn't be designated or legislated into those roles. And honestly, I've seen uh, in my travels, some of the best people who have stood up for women, stood up for women's rights and all of that have been men. Uh, and in some cases, women have, have been a little bit of a, of an issue. Lauren Bobert. <clears throat> Sorry about that. So, uh, oh, <laughs> um, uh, well, that brings me to, to probably my last question for you today. And, uh, this is the I one do love I, Matt. everybody, please. I don't want this. To oh, weird. no, I just, of, I, no, you're good. Of course you did okay, a fantastic I, job explaining yourself. Right. I don't think there's anyone in our audience would have any doubt or any argument with what you just said, because None. we say worse than that all the time. Uh, and you know, we are defender of rights, human rights. It doesn't matter who that person is. And so we, we believe in that very strongly, but I want to go back. And now this is a personal question about me and, and I just me wanting to know you a little bit as a, as a person, Sevis Tross spoke to me because in, in, in there you have lyrics to say, I just can't be comfortable in my skin. And when I heard that for the first time, it's hard not to, to tear up just even saying the words, that spoke to me so much because I definitely identified for, for much of my life as somebody who could not become comfortable in their own skin. And then I've went through this personal transformation in the last three years of my life to where I feel like I've ascended above that and, and I found my way through that. And then I was able to find my own identity and I was able to find some comfort in my skin because I became an authentic version of myself. In your own personal journey from 20 years ago to today, you know, I, I loving your music, following the CDs around, you know, just watching you seem to be a very healthy individual. Have you found comfort in your skin? How has your own personal journey been? Uh, thank you for sharing your experience. That, that means quite a lot to me. Thank you. Um, yes and no. Um, I... I, I'm, I, is a lot of people, I guess people see, maybe people will hear the music and they hear how loud I am on, on an, on an album or they go to a show and they see how raucous I am on stage and crazy and, you know, and unleashing all this emotion up there, but I'm actually kind of an introvert personally. Uh, and that's because I'm, I, I usually deal with a lot of self-doubt and insecurity and um, about who I am, about, what I look like, uh, uh, if I'm a good writer or not, if I'm a good singer, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, you know, I, I so I just, I, I really focus on trying to be a better human and be, be a better writer and a better, uh, a better spokesperson. Cause I know that, you know, 
there's a lot of people who, um, who, who have been affected by I've written and the things that I say in a positive way. And I, I fear letting them down. So, um, in some ways, yes, I, I am. I'm, I'm, I, I've, I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with who I am and, and, and I've, you know, I discovered powerlifting and, and I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really fucking strong. So I'm really happy about that, but, Get it. um, yeah, man, I, I, I uh, deadlift 335 pounds uh, and Holy that's, crap. uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, like I said, I, I don't, I, I'm all natural vegan lifter, so I don't, you know, I, women won't jack up, men won't even really jack up that much unless you're just, it's just genetic, unless you're like, you know, you're doping or something, but, and respect, you know, do what you want to do out there, it's not my, not, no, no judgment here, but I'm still, I'm still struggling, and I think I'll probably struggle for the rest of my life with, with who I am, and, and um, all the things that, that, you know, that I, I don't like about me. So, uh, but luckily art helps me navigate those very troubled waters. And that's what it's, well, that's what I've used it for, for my well, whole life. Let me be the first to tell you that you are awesome and oh. your fans appreciate you and love you very much and what you do and how you do it and your authenticity and just even being courageous enough to answer that question on a stage like this. And that's mm -hmm. impressive. And that shows a lot about your strength and intestinal fortitude and who you are as a person. And, you know, that's all we could ever hope to be myself included and everyone else. It's like imposter syndrome. I, I think I, I listened to a, uh, a woman speak the other day. They said it should have never been called syndrome. It should have been called experience <laughs> because yeah. everybody suffers from it. Right. Um, yeah. You can only do the best that you can in, in trying to be the, the best human that you can be. But I'll tell you what, I thank you so much for taking the time to to share with us today. Uh, uh, hopefully, uh, as we wrap this up today, uh, if you could stick around for a few minutes after we're done, uh, I got some information for you that I think would be uh, be really good. But uh, I, I congratulations on the new album. It's absolutely Thanks. fantastic. Everybody out there that is listening, you should definitely go pick up a copy of The God Slayer. It got released today, September 15th. You need to go buy it. It is, if you're an OTEP fan, you are going to absolutely love this album. Uh, it's as good as any album that's been out. And I think it, like we had talked about in this podcast, it's going to be one of those albums that over time is going to be appreciated even more because there's a lot of raw emotion, a lot of authenticity, uh, a lot of interpretation that it, I think it's going to take time to, to appreciate for some people. But uh, mm -hmm. I found it to be absolutely fantastic, and it was a beautiful album. So thank, thank you so much for offering to do this for us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Both of you guys, thank you very much. I do. I did want to say real quick. One of the things you just said that you were worried about was letting your fans down. I think the the words you have given, there's nothing to be let down. You've done your job. I mean, anything you come out with, it's just sugar on top at this point. There's nothing to be let down. You, your words are so impactful to the core that people aren't going to be let down by anything you put out. Thank you. I, I hope so. Thank you very much for saying that, though. I I appreciate that. All right. Well, you if guys. you're out there still listening, make sure you click that subscribe button and hit that notification bell so that you don't miss future episodes. And you can visit us on the web at www.thestonedapespodcast.com. I know I added too many W's, but you can live with that. And for this episode, the Stone Apes.
are out. <laughs>